0: family. Hey, can we just celebrate the fact that we have that many children that uh, the Lord is blessing our church with? That's right. Really honored, uh, you know, for that to be the case. And uh, man, Pastor Steve likes to say that, uh, you know, there's a command in the Bible where God tells his children to be fruitful and multiply, multiply. Steve says, we don't even preach that anymore because we've nailed it. We're good at that one. Okay. So, all right. Well, hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to Jeremiah 17. That's what we're going to be today. And while you're turning there, um, if you're new to us, let me just welcome you, my name's Josh, I'm one of the lead pastors of our church and uh, we are really honored you're here. And hey, while you're turning there, um, there's a few things I I believe really strongly in this axiom um, that whatever we celebrate as a church will cultivate. And whatever we fail to celebrate, will eventually leave uh, our church. And so a couple things, if you guys could help me celebrate this. Guys, in the last two weeks, we've had somewhere around 200 people respond for salvation at Lake Point Church. We're excited about that. That's right, man. Excited about that. We also, um, we just finished our baptism calendar year, the, the count, part of the calendar year where we track... Baptism. Pastor Steve just let our staff know that in the last baptism calendar year, we just finished baptizing more people than we've ever baptized in the history of Lake Point. Almost a thousand people that took that step for baptism. That's right in our church. And then uh, let me do one more. You know, a couple weeks ago, we announced the uh, forthcoming North Dallas campus. Um that uh, we're excited about. we'll be launching that sometime in the fall of twenty twenty. And we just made the quick thing. We just said, hey, if you'd be interested in potentially getting information about being a part of the launch team for the North Dallas campus, we just said, hey, give us your info, that kind of thing. Uh, really excited to announce that after just one quick you know uh, announcement on that, um nearly four hundred people signed up uh, with interest, you know, interest in that. So we're excited about all that. So all those things, can we just, all those things together, let's thank God for everything he's doing in our church. That's right, man. Let's do that. We never, ever, ever want to stop celebrating those things. Now, I do just want to say this. All those things are amazing. Salvations, baptisms, new campuses, all that's amazing. But guys, here's what I'm really excited about. That right there. Come on, somebody. That's right. This, uh, this Tennessee boy is getting hot down here and... Uh, Ready for that? Well, hey, here's where we are today. We are in uh, week three of a series that we're just calling Heart of Gold. And uh, in this series, what we're doing is uh, we're looking at how God changes our hearts. And here's why that's really important. Christianity is different from every other religion, worldview, or philosophy that's ever existed because Christianity, Christianity's primary focus is not on behavior modification. It's on heart transformation. Christianity is this incredible declaration that there is a power that can reach inside of your chest and change the very core of who you are. And that's very good news because watch this, the Bible teaches that the state of our actions is downstream from the state of our hearts. And actually, you're never gonna have any success changing what you do unless God comes in and he changes who you are. So it's really all about heart transformation. So each one of the weeks, what we're doing is we're looking at how God changes our hearts, hence the title, Heart of Gold, all right? Now, quick confession. The first part of this sermon is bad news. I just need to get that out, out in, in, uh, ahead of time because what we're doing today is we're talking about the state of our hearts before God changes them and then what, what we do about that now that we become Christians, okay? So here's my analogy to lead into this passage. Uh, when Jan and I first got married, we got totally hooked on the TV show 24. Where are my 24 viewers at? You guys out there? All right, you guys are my friends. We can be friends, all right? And, uh, and so we got totally hooked on this show. Um, if you've never seen it, I'm about to spoil a lot of 24 for you. That's your fault, not mine. You had 12 years, okay? So let me just kind of go ahead. If you've ever seen the show, it the show is about a hilariously indestructible agent of, a, uh, of a, a, an outfit called the CTU, the Counter Terrorist Unit. That's a made-up thing, but the Counter Terrorist Unit. And the hilariously indestructible agent's name is Jack Bauer. Now, if you've ever seen the show, there are two things that happen Every single season of 24, two things. Again, I'm gonna spoil this for you. I'm really sorry. Uh, Number one, Jack dies every single season. (laughs) It always happens. He dies, he comes back. Really sorry for those of you who haven't seen it. You should have watched it earlier. So Jack dies, comes back. And this is what you notice. Jack Bauer is hilariously indestructible. It would take a lot of people a while to recover from 20 months of Chinese torture and interrogation. All Jack needs is a shower, a shave, and a new change of clothes, and he's fine. That's how it works in 24. Now, the other thing that happens every single season is there is always a mole in the CTU. Nine seasons, nine moles. Every single season, you're wondering, who is the person, the secret agent that's working for the enemy from the inside? Who's it gonna be? When are they gonna reveal who it is? That kind of thing, you're always looking for the mole. Now, that analogy, the analogy of a mole, Is a perfect analogy for what the Bible says about the natural state of the human heart. A mole, here's what a mole is. A mole is a person that's on the inside that you think is working for you, but who is actually spreading misinformation and working for the enemy from the inside. Now, that's what the Bible says about the human heart. It says your human heart, it's something inside of you that you think is working for you, but is often deceiving you and working in tandem with the enemy. Now, what we wanna do today is we wanna look at why that is and then what we do about it, all right? So if you got your Bibles, pick up with me in uh, Jeremiah 17. We're gonna start in verse nine. So grab your Bibles, open up your iPhones, grab your iPads. If you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can use your eyelids because I'm gonna have it right here. Here we go, all right. Here's what it says. Jeremiah 17:9. the heart is deceitful. Everybody say that out loud with me. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And here's the answer to that question. I, the Lord, can. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. All right, so that's our passage. Now, let me start right here. And just like any good builder, I've got to blast something out before I build something up. Because what the Bible just said flies exactly in the face of everything that our culture teaches you. There, in fact, is an axiom that in our culture is taken as an, you know, an, an indisputable truth. In every situation, when you face a big decision, this sentence always gets said. If you are ever in a situation where somebody denies that the sentence I'm about to say is true, that person in our culture is labeled either oppressive or repressive, And they are said to be the problem with what's wrong with your life, okay? Now, you guys are gonna help me because we all know this axiom. Here's what it is help me finish it. In our culture, with every big decision, you're told, oh, you just need to follow your heart. All right, right, that's what people say. And what that means is here's the assumption what's assumed in our culture is that your deepest desires on the inside are a reliable guide. And the way to happiness is to identify and act on those deepest desires. Now, let me start by just speaking in a very straightforward way with you as a pastor. Here's my experience. My experience as a pastor tells me that people make more horrible life decisions, marry more terrible people, do more terrible things to their families, and more people drift away from God than you can imagine. Based on that advice, follow your heart. And here's the assumption that's behind the follow your heart advice. Here, here's what people kind of take that to mean. The assumption is, hey, if it feels right, that means that it must be right. Now let me just, again, I gotta blast something out before I build something up. Can we all just acknowledge how absurd that really is? Uh, every parent in this room, what you are parenting your children to understand is that just because something feels good or feels right, that doesn't mean you should do it. Your kids walk around all the time wanting to do things that are rebellious against you, bad for the family, and would hurt them, and you're actually trying to disciple them out of believing that just because it feels good means you should do it. I'll give you an analogy, let me show you how absurd this is. Let me give you an analogy in my marriage. Let's imagine that in our marriage, Jan and I, by the way, Jan and I have been married for 14 years as of this week. There it is, right there, man, 14th anniversary. We're excited about that. So I want you to imagine that Jan and I, uh, this week I came to Jan and I said, hey babe, here, here's the thing, I just need to be honest with you. And I was like, hey babe, we've been married for 14 amazing years, love being married to you, you are absolutely beautiful. But I need to be honest with you about what I sometimes experience. Even, imagine that I said to Jana, babe, even though you are an amazing wife, you are beautiful, you're stunning, I love the connection of our heart. But then I said to Jana, but Jana, every now and then I will find another woman physically attractive, I'll see somebody else that I think is pretty and something inside of me is compelled to move towards that person and act on that internal desire, that thing in me that recognize the attractiveness of another person. And then imagine that I said to Jana, and so babe, listen, I love our marriage. I love you. I am committed to you, Jana, but I've got to do what feels natural to me and monogamy just doesn't feel natural to me. So I'm gonna stay committed to you, babe. It's fine, everything's fine. I'm gonna stay committed to you, but whenever I have one of these strong desires, I'm gonna act on it, because that's what feels natural. Now, if I said that to Jana, what she would say is, she'd say, let me tell you what feels natural to me right now, and she would stab me in the eye. That's what she would do. See, we all understand this. We understand that just because something feels right doesn't mean that it is right. And let me just say something in a very straightforward way. Your desires, unchecked on their own, will lead you outside of the will of God every time. That will happen to you. I look back at my life this week and I just ask the question, what would my life have looked like if I followed my heart at every season of my life? I would have married Sarah Schmidt in the fifth grade. I would have murdered my brother in the seventh grade for breaking my Christmas present. I would have never gone to class in college. I would have ruined my marriage. I would neglect my children. And listen, here's what you gotta understand. Think about this. Guys, do you understand who always follows their heart? Here's who always follows their hearts. Sociopaths and mass murderers always follow their heart. Hitler followed his heart. School shooters followed their heart. People who intentionally chose cats as pets followed their heart. All of those people. (laughs) They follow their heart. so what you gotta understand is that you're, (laughs) you gotta have fun doing this, right? What you gotta understand is that just because something feels good or feels right, just because you have a desire, that doesn't mean that it's the right thing for you. Now, let me give you some theology behind why this is true. Well, the Bible teaches that our first parents, Adam and Eve, they made a choice to rebel against the goodness of God. The Bible teaches that their spiritual DNA has been passed down through humanity to you so that now everyone everywhere, we're not born with a default mode to honor God and love people. We're born with a default mode, what the Bible calls a sin nature. The default mode of the human heart is to try to live independently of God and instead of living to love other people, living selfishly for ourselves. Listen, everybody, what's fascinating to me is that is the most obvious doctrine in the entire Bible, but for some reason, people wanted to pretend that it's not true. Every parent in this room knows that the doctrine of the sinful nature of man is true. Let me prove this to you. You didn't have to send your kids to sin camp or selfishness seminars to teach them to lie, cheat, and steal. They figured that out out all on their own. They came by that stuff instinctively. My kids inherited that straight from their mom. They got all of that straight from her. So watch this. Here's what the Bible teaches. Our hearts have been corrupted by sin, so we often desire things that would hurt ourselves and others and are repulsed by things that would honor God and others. So let me just put a bow on this. The world says you gotta follow your heart. God says, hey, your heart's deceitful. So in your life, here's what you're gonna notice. Very often in your life, following your heart was the problem, not the solution. Man, just as somebody who loves you and is your pastor, let me just say it. Guys, don't follow your heart. Follow God's heart. God's heart is Jesus. God's heart is that he is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And so we wanna follow his heart. Now, let me, I do, this begs a question. And I wanna answer this question because it's been asked me twice during this series. Here's the question this passage raises. You might be saying right now, Josh, you said last time that when we get saved, God gives us new hearts. But this passage says that our hearts are deceitful. So hey, Josh, if I'm a Christian, which one is it? Is, do I have a new heart that loves, God, loves and honors God or is my heart deceitful? Or you may say it like this, and if I still struggle with sin, does that mean that I don't have a new heart? Uh, Let me apply this to you really quick. Uh, Let me say it and and then explain it. So let me say it. Guys, struggling with sin is not an indication that you're not saved. In fact, it's an indication that you are saved. Here's how this works. Before you were a Christian, you didn't struggle and fight against sin. You run towards it and you can stay comfortably within it because the only thing at work in your life is your old deceitful heart, and the part of you that wants to live independently of God. So before you became a Christian, there was no struggle. There was no fight. You were totally comfortable in sin. But then when you became a Christian, here's what happened. There begins to be a struggle because now the spirit of the living God has taken up residence inside of my soul and he's waging war against my old deceitful heart And he's beginning the process of transforming my heart into a new heart that loves and honors God. So here's what happens. This means that every Christian from the day that they are converted until the day they step into glory will struggle and fight with sin because our old heart of stone and our new heart for God are at war within us. Does that make sense? Is that making sense to you guys? This is how it works in the Christian life. Uh, here's a, a great analogy for this. I love how the book of Proverbs says this. Proverbs 24:16 says, watch this, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And that's a great verse. Now I want you to imagine this, here's my analogy. Imagine you go to the mall and at the mall, you see somebody and that person falls one time. If you are anything like me because I have a sinful, deceitful heart, what I would do under my breath is I would laugh at that person. <laughs> And I would think that was really funny, okay? But then, if you watch that person begin to fall a second and a third time, what you might do is you may grab your phone and try to snap a discreet you know, video, that kind of thing, send it to your friends and be like, ha, 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 look at what's happening to this guy at the mall. Then, if you saw that guy fall a fourth and a fifth time, you might upload that video to YouTube and it might go viral. But it, watch this, if you saw that guy fall a sixth and a seventh time, What you would do is you would think, man, there actually must be something wrong with him and you would begin to feel bad for having uploaded the video to YouTube. Now listen, guys, here's how this works. Watch this. Righteous people fall so much that sometimes it seems as if they can barely walk, but watch this. Every time they fall, they get back up and they fix their eyes on Jesus. That's what happens in the life of a person who's been saved So a new heart isn't demonstrated by never failing, it's demonstrated by what you do when you fall. Listen, if God has saved you and he's given you a new heart, you are going to struggle and fall into sin your entire life. What a saved person does is every time they fall, they get back up, they fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. They rely completely on the grace of God for them, and then they keep going towards him. That's what happens in the life of a righteous person. So watch this guys, conversion is not sinless perfection, it's a new direction. And here's your new direction if you're anything like me or any other saint that has ever lived. Your new direction is your entire Christian life. You will struggle and fall, struggle and fall, struggle and fall, struggle and fall. You will fail forward the entire way but you will do so relying on the sufficiency of Jesus' grace for every one of your sins. And you will discover all along the way that there is more grace in him than there is sin in you. That's what happens for a person who's a Christian. So let me put a bow on all this. Well, the Bible says the world assumes that your heart is perfect, so you should follow it. The Bible says that your heart is deceitful, so you should allow God, watch this, to search it and test it so that he can transform it. Okay? Now, let me let me help you out really quick. I wanna get real practical. Um, Bible scholars for centuries have pointed out that there are essentially in the Bible what I'm gonna call three arteries for our spiritual hearts. I'm gonna walk you through really fast each of those spiritual arteries, and here's what you gotta understand. In the same way that if even one of the arteries of your physical heart is blocked, you can have a heart attack, these three arteries are not multiple choice. If even one of these things is blocked, you can have a spiritual heart attack okay so here's what they are and i want you to use this as a time to give yourself like a spiritual ekg man how, how am i doing okay so here we go three arteries of our spiritual hearts number 1 is we need the people of god the people of god help us have a transformed new heart that loves god here's what the bible says in james 5:19 listen really close my brothers and sisters if one of you should wander from the truth and somebody should bring that person back remember this Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So the Bible is assuming there are gonna come times in our lives where we wander from the truth of who God is and what he wants for us, and it assumes that we need the family of God to help bring us back and encourage us in Christ. You need that. So watch this. It takes the family of God to keep us in the truth. Okay, uh, this was brought home to uh, Jan and I in a a very powerful way a few years ago. Uh, About 12, 13 years ago, when I first became a student pastor, um, I didn't earn enough for us to be a single income family. And Jana uh, has a speech language pathology degree. So Jana started teaching sessions out of our uh, condo. And as soon as uh, she started, we had a student that we immediately realized, okay, there's something wrong with him. I'm gonna call him Samuel. And so we realized, man, something really wrong with Samuel. And what we noticed was, um, one, Samuel would never look you in the eye. He would always sorta of look around you but never at you. Um, we also noticed that um, Samuel would never let a person touch him. Like if you just wanna to touch him on the shoulder, he'd flinch. Or if I as a youth pastor, wanted to give him a hug, you know, he'd kinda cower or run away. Um, we also noticed that anytime um, food was given to Samuel, a treat, reward, a meal, he would scarf it down really fast Um, And then sometimes we'd discover that he was hiding like pieces of pizza in his backpack. And we're like, hey, what's going on? And then um, he did this really weird thing a few times where we noticed that um, if he really liked you, Samuel would take your hand and he would lick you to show affection. And we were like, man, what in the world? Well, eventually what we discovered is that Samuel had been um, taken in by a very, very wicked foster family. And what they'd done is that they just wanted to check from the government, and so they both went and got full-time jobs while they also had a foster child. And uh, what they did is for nine or 10 hours a day, they were literally locking Samuel in a dog kennel with their dogs. And so guess what Samuel learned? He learned, never let an adult touch you. The only reason an adult would touch you is to hurt you. He learned, hey, if there's food out, you better eat fast or there's not gonna be any left. Um, And and guess where Samuel learned? To lick people to show affection. That was his story. Well, uh, one day uh, something amazing happened for Samuel. Um, There was a family in our church that heard about his story and they had a heart for him. And so eventually this family, they adopted Samuel into their family. And they brought him in and gradually and slowly Samuel learned how to be a normal son of the house. And so he learned, hey, you know, there are actually some adults who truly care about you. And he learned to receive affection. Um, Samuel learned how to eat a meal in a normal way. Um, He learned to let people hug him. He learned how to look people in the eye. And eventually Samuel learned, hey, I don't have to lick people to show affection. Um, If I, I like somebody, I can just tell them or I can show them. Now, now watch this, watch this. All it took, was the ruling of a judge to get Samuel out of an orphanage, but it took a family to get the orphan out of Samuel. Now, did you know this? It is the exact same way in your spiritual life. Uh, The minute you became a Christian, uh, all it took was, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that uh, it calls the devil the deceiver of the whole world, the God of this world. Everyone who doesn't belong to Christ belongs to him. So watch this. All it took was faith in Christ to get you away from the deceiver, but it takes the family of Christ to get the deception out of you. That's how it works, and there is no other way. In fact, what the Bible teaches is that that heart change only happens in the context of community and relationship. There is no other way. In fact, I can prove this to you. If I were to ask you right now to name the last 10 sermons you heard, nobody could do it, doesn't matter how good I was. Not gonna happen. But if I were to ask you, name 10 people who changed your life for better or worse, you can do it immediately. Heart change happens in relationship. Now listen, this right here is why we are so passionate about life groups at Lake Point Church. Listen, there is no other way than for you to get in a spiritual family with the people of God to nourish your spiritual heart, to encourage and refresh you in the truth. And if you don't have that, you will spend your entire life a spiritual orphan that whose heart is not getting what it needs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So listen, you might be here, let me give you an action step. Maybe you've been coming to Lake Point for four, six, eight weeks, and right now you are, you're a spiritual orphan without a spiritual family. What you need to do today, right now while I'm talking, is just grab the connect card on the inside of the handout you were given on your way in. Just give us your name and email address and check the box that says connect with a life group and one of our pastors will reach out to you this week to help you test drive a life group. So number one, first artery of the spiritual heart is you need the people of God, but watch this. You don't just need the people of God, you gotta have the word of God. You gotta have the word of God. Now here's what every maturing Christian has to figure out at some point in their walk with Christ. You've gotta figure out the relationship between your ever-changing feelings and the unchanging word of God. You gotta figure out how those two things relate to each other. So, that brings me to these three chairs right over here. All right, a few years ago, let me give you a visual. I ran across a sermon from a guy named Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor who underwent incredible persecution, and he wrote this sermon before he died about the relationship between these three things, fact, faith, and feeling. What's the relationship? Fact, faith, and feeling. Here's what Watchman Nee said. He said, imagine that there are three people walking single file atop uh, uh, the top of a tall, thin wall. And he said at the beginning of the line, what you got is as long as, uh, as long as fact is at the beginning of the line and then right behind fact is faith. And as long as faith is keeping its eyes on fact, then faith is fine. And then right behind faith is feeling. And as long as feelings are keeping their eyes on faith and faith is keeping its eyes on fact, then all three of them can walk right down the wall. But he said, imagine this. He said the second that faith in the middle takes its eyes off of fact, off of what's actually true that's given to us in God's word, the facts about who God is, the facts about what he's done for us in the cross of Christ, the facts about what that means for us, because of his adoption of us as sons and daughters, as soon as faith takes its eyes off of fact and turns around and starts looking at feelings to tell faith what to believe, well then, as soon as that happens, both faith and feelings fall off the wall. So as long as fact is in the front and faith keeps its eyes on fact and feelings keeps its eyes on faith, then all three are fine. The second faith turns around and puts its eyes on feelings, They fall off the wall. Now listen, that's exactly how it is in the Christian life. In the midst of my feelings, what I've gotta do is call to mind the facts of the goodness of God based on what he's done for us on the cross. That may not naturally arise out of my circumstances, but it arises out of the Bible that Jesus has sealed with his own blood and proven with his resurrection My faith is not in my feelings. What I've got to do is put my faith in the fact of who Jesus is and what he's done. And what that means, guys, is I'm not going to feel my way into my beliefs. I'm going to believe my way into my feelings. That's what the Bible means, by the way, when 1 John 3 says, whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. That's what that means. So what happens is every time that something within your heart rises up and says something to you from a feeling perspective, what you've gotta do is go back to the greater truth of what's in God's word. So some of you are here right now and your heart inside of you is saying you are so messed up. You are too far gone. You're no good for anything in the kingdom of God now. Well, I've gotta go to the greater truth where my Bible says no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every time your heart says to you from the inside and it whispers to you, hey, it's totally hopeless. You have absolutely no future and you will never be used by God. I've got to, got to go to the greater truth where my Bible says, wrong. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Whenever your heart whispers inside of you, you are so terrible. You are a liar, a thief, a failure, an adulterer, you are untrustworthy. You gotta go to the greater truth of the Bible that says, yes, all those things are true and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified and you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. We've gotta go back to the greater truths that are in our Bibles. And guys, what you gotta understand is the way to get rid of voices of inner condemnation in our hearts is not to ignore them or minimize them, but to drown them out with the greater truths of God's word. Now, what you gotta understand is, listen, you can't do that just by every now and then opening up your Bible and sticking your finger on a verse. You need more than that. All of us have heard the, uh, the old preacher story about the guy who was driving somewhere and needed a word from God. And he thought, man, God, I'm just gonna open my Bible and put my finger down, on whatever is there, I'm gonna assume that's your word for me. He opens his Bible, puts his finger down on Matthew 27.5 that says, and Judas went away and hanged himself. And he flips the Bible again. He goes, that obviously wasn't it. Let me try again. Flips his Bible again, puts his finger down on Luke 10, 37. Go thou and do likewise. And he's like, oh, that wasn't it. Let me try one more time. Flips his Bible again, puts his finger down on John 13, 27. What you're about to do, do quickly. You know, that kind of thing. You need more than just flipping your Bible and every now and then going to a verse. Here's what Psalm 1 says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. You need that. Now listen, what we say here at Lake Point is we want you to shoot for seven and hit five, and this is a habit that I do that I'd encourage you to do. Here's what that means. There are seven days in a week. You need to make it your goal to read one chapter of the Bible every day, seven days a week, but let me tip you off on what's gonna happen when you try, you'll fail. Guys, I am a pastor. I am paid to be a professional Christian, and I don't get to a chapter every single day. Something comes up, there's an emergency. One of you guys has something that has to be responded to immediately. That stuff happens, so here's what we say. Aim for seven and be okay if you just hit five. But what you need is a habit where morning by morning, I'm getting new mercies from God and his word. That's what we need. All right, now here's the last one. You got three arteries, people of God, you need the people of God, you need the word of God, and here's what you need, you need the spirit of God. And there is no other way. John 16, 13 says this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now did you notice that word guide? What that means is we are not to be guided by our hearts, we are to be guided by the spirit of the living God. That's what we're called to be. Now, what this, quick caveat. What this usually means is, watch this, the spirit of God is the one who authored the word of God. And so the spirit of God will primarily speak to you through the word of God. In fact, if you want to be led by the spirit of God, you've got to be fed by the word of God. That's usually how he's gonna work. He's gonna call to mind passages from the Bible to bring them up and say, apply that right now. Here's what you need. Fresh fresh word in season for you in this moment. But let me also say this. There is simply no way to read your Bible clearly without seeing that the Holy Spirit sometimes will also speak to you directly to lead you in the way that God wants you to go. As soon as I say that, I know there's a bunch of rolled eyes and skepticism in the room. Let me prove it to you in the Bible. Guys, the Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. In 36 of those 59 times, he is speaking to someone. You may have skepticism about the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you, but listen, you may have gotten that skepticism from somewhere, you did not get it from the Bible. The Holy Spirit has been given to the children of God to guide us in the ways that God wants us to go, and he sees the future in all possibilities, and he can make better decisions than you. Uh, let, me, let me land here. I need you to see how important it is to have hearts that are open to the Spirit about a year ago, this month, was when Pastor Steve called me again um, to talk about potentially coming to Lake Point to succeed him you know, as the senior pastor here. And uh, this was a moment in Jana's in my life where if all we did was follow how our hearts felt in that first moment, uh, we would never, ever, ever have made that decision. Um, we were a part of a church that my dad planted in Nashville, and I was the senior pastor at that time. We'd been there for 10 years, best friends of our life. Things were going really well. I didn't have anything to be running from, but there was a check in our spirits immediately that just said, you've gotta be open to where I want you, Josh, wherever that is. And um, we loved where we were. The situation was great. We were in the middle of an adoption process to bring home our son, Hudson, and we'd been approved, if we were gonna move away, we would lose all of the money that we had paid you know, into that adoption process. Um, and so there came a night where Jane and I just said before the Lord, hey, this is not what we, what we would choose in our, our sort of our human perspective, but we just said, Holy Spirit, we gotta be open to you. Now, our two daughters are both adopted they do not do great with change because of some of those adoption issues. In fact, uh, we had just replaced our stove in our old house and our oldest daughter cried for two days because of the new stove. There's some stuff there, okay? And so what we did is we just said, we made a commitment. We said, we're gonna pray and ask to be led by the Spirit, but we will never speak about this to or in front of our children. And one night we just prayed, Holy Spirit, lead us where you want us to go. The next morning, true story, the next morning, my oldest daughter who'd just become a Christian walked downstairs and the first thing she said to Jana was, are we moving to Texas? And Jana went, Hoo! did we talk too loud? Did you sneak out at night? And she said, well, hey, Eliana, what would make you ask that question? And she said, last night I had a dream that daddy moved to Texas to be a pastor and that Hudson, was there, not here, and that's why we haven't gotten him yet. Now wait, 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 You can clap him out 10 seconds. Uh, that same week, we got a call from our adoption agency about a birth mom that had chosen us and was interested in placing her son with us. And as we were on the phone, we were approved to receive a child from all the lower 49 states. The first question we asked was, where is the child from? And the answer was, Dallas, Texas. Now listen. Now listen, to be really honest with you, at the beginning, in the beginning part of that process, if I had followed my heart, that's not the decision I would make. But the Holy Spirit, guys listen, the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and he wants to speak to his children. And as the Spirit began to guide us, God began to shift our hearts. And he opened our hearts and opened our hearts and opened our hearts. And now we had just fallen in love with this church family with everything we got. (laughs) And so listen, listen, listen. Some of you, what you need right now is you need a fresh openness to the spirit. If you wanna be led by the spirit of God, if you wanna make a great impact for the kingdom in this world, what you most need is not degrees or IQ points. What you need is an active relationship with the spirit of God. And whenever he speaks to you and he says, go right, you go right. And when he says, go left, you go left. When he says, sit down, you sit down. When he says, shut up, you shut up to be led by the spirit. And so can I do that right now? Can I just pray that a fresh, a new openness to the spirit would fall on us? Can I do that? Will you pray with me, please? And father, we love you so much. Thank you so much for the gift of your spirit who leads us and feeds us in your word and unites us with your people. So God, I I pray for our church, I pray that all three arteries would be wide open, that we would be knit together with the people of God, that we would be constantly treasuring the word of God, and that we would be led by the spirit of God, and so Father, I pray for people who right now, they are spiritual orphans, and they don't have a spiritual family, that maybe they'd be taking that step today to step into a life group and connect with the people of God. Father, I pray for people who haven't received a word from you in months, weeks, maybe even years, because they haven't opened their Bible in that long. God, I pray that this week something would stir within them and they would rise early in the morning and open their Bibles to receive new mercies from their heavenly Father. So God, make us people of the word and open our hearts to the Spirit. God, make us people who all of our days, till we step into glory, we are people who say, Father, whatever whenever, wherever, no matter the cost, I'm yours. We love you. We pray those things in the name of your crucified risen son. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit Digital.